Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. All right, good morning. The scripture today is from the book of Romans, chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, guys. Hi, I don't even need to tell you my name because some of you know it, but it is Fabs. Um, If you're new here, this is your first time. We've been going through a series during Lent about caring for our souls, how to take that part of us that is our soul and care for it well. I've personally been really enjoying this series. It's been really good for me and for my soul. Um, And I I think, I don't know if this has happened to anyone else, but as I've been thinking through this series, I feel like I keep having this conversation with people, and I'm having a hard time, I'm noticing, like, defining what the soul is. People are like, what do you mean by the soul? And I'm like, I don't know, you know, the soul. Like, we know what it is because we have one. But I wish you could kind of, like, take people apart and look at all the different parts of them and that soul was just this one clear bucket and we knew exactly what it was and it was visible and had, like, outline and we could see everything about it. But we're a lot more integrated than that. Like, we like to separate ourselves into these different faculties, but the truth is we're very integrated and we're very complicated. And Mark taught last week about our bodies and how our souls and our bodies are not these totally separate things, but these integrated parts of us. And if you missed that message, I do encourage you to go back and listen to it, because it's, it's one I think we don't hear a lot in the church. But all these different parts of us, our personality, our body, our thoughts, our feelings, our hearts— To me, as I've been thinking about it, these things aren't separate from our soul. They're like this expression, this experience of our soul. Like Heather's soul is in this room. We know that because Heather's in this room. And we get to interact and connect with Heather's soul through Heather's body, through the way it moves, through the way she talks, like the way I talk with my hands is an expression of my soul, right? She uses certain words. She uses certain intonation. We see her personality. And all of that is like this splash, this like moment of contact with her soul. It's how we get to experience her soul. Uh, My background is in psychology, so we don't talk about souls in psychology, but we do talk about something called identity. And as I've been thinking about it this week, I'm like, I think by identity we mean the same exact thing that we mean in here as soul. Identity is like this weird, complicated, nebulous thing that nobody in the psychology world really knows how to explain. We know that we have one, and we know that we have to study it, because we know that that people are walking around with these incredibly large psychological wounds that come from some message, some story they've believed about their identity. And we see it show up in their relationships and their dysfunction within their families and all of it we can track back to this sort of identity narrative, this belief, this story they have about who they are. And we can't take them apart. We can't take people's brains apart and say, this is the identity. So instead, we develop all these different theories about how maybe identity works. And one theory that I'm currently loving, it's Gestalt's theory of identity, but basically is the idea that inside of you, you have this core part of you, this immovable, fixed identity. And then around it, you have this layer that we call self. And in his theory, self is actually a verb. It's not a noun. Your identity, your core identity is this noun, and then around it, you have this verb that is the experience of making contact with the world. 
It's like this moment that your identity and the world, a circumstance, some event, some situation collide and we see this splash of your identity. We learn what your identity looks like through how that self shows up in that moment of contact. I love that. That's how I've kind of been thinking about souls, that like we have these fixed, immovable souls and they wander through this world and they collide with people and experiences and circumstances and we see this splash of self through your body and your thoughts and your words. And it's like this glimmer, it's like this glimpse of your soul. And identity theory would tell you that self part is really important. A, because it's the only way that you can learn the soul or the identity inside of you. It's how you learn who you are is through that splash, that verb of self. You learn things about yourself. And also, it's the way that we make contact with you. It's the way that I get to interact with your identity. But really, why it's important in psychology is because this self, while it's carrying your identity to the world, it's also carrying the world to your identity. Right? As you interact, as you splash up against the world, yourself is receiving messages, it's receiving ideas about how the world works and who you are, and it carries it back into your identity, and it shapes how that identity shows up next time. Right? That self receives information and carries it back. It's kind of like your, your, your body and your senses and your thoughts are, are all these like tentacles of your soul that are street, reaching out into the world and they're receiving billions of different data points all the time and they're carrying it back to that deepest part of you, to that soul, and they're making stories about how the world works and about who you are within it. Um, and I have a little, for those of you who are like a little more abstract, you'll like this. For those of you who aren't, just ignore me for the next 60 seconds. But I, I was thinking about, because I'm weird, I was thinking about this identity theory while I was on vacation, and I was sitting next to this lake in Scotland. Yes, that's right. That's where I was sitting, right there. Uh, you can't see it, but right behind me is my Airbnb, living my best life over here. Um, so beautiful. It looks ex even more beautiful than that in person. I was looking out at it, this beautiful, immovable, like, lump of water that is so dark and so deep, I couldn't tell what it looked like. I couldn't tell how deep it is. I couldn't tell what color the water is. I couldn't even tell like how choppy the water is. But there's this other spot when you see the water meet the land. This is the exact same place. Literally, it turns the camera like this. You can see the water as it interacts with the land. You get to see what it actually looks like. I can see the color of the water. It's made up of the exact same substance, but it's showing up so differently. And I could have taken like 15 different pictures of this all the way down the coastline. And every single time, the water would have looked different because it shows up differently as it collides with the earth, right? Just like our souls, we get that splash of, of when we hit up against some circumstance and we get a little bit of a different glimpse into who you are, what's inside of you, the essence of who you are, right? And as this is happening... On the fiercer days, right, you can kind of see it in this picture, but I could see it in real life. Of course, we know that the land is shaped by the water, but also the water itself was changed by its interaction with the land. As it hit up against it, it changed its form. Instead of being this, like, still liquid thing, it became this foamy thing. And that foam, you could watch it float all the way back out to the center of that lake and get integrated into that water. And that's exactly how I've been noticing it works with my soul. I splash up against whatever the rocks are in this world. And yes, I shape them. And yes, they get to experience me through that. And yes, also they shape me. I carry back with me stories from them. And I, and I knit those stories into who I am. And it's like all of us have these like, um, 
giant bookshelves in our minds with all these different stories that we formed over the years from the different experiences we've had, like different moments when we've splashed up against the world and we've gathered data and we've collected this like ridiculous list of stories that all live on our shelf. And when we have an experience, we go to this bookshelf. Why is this happening? Explain it to me. How does the world work? Where do I fit? And we grab a book off the shelf and we flip through and we have our stories there. But every now and then, we have patterns. We have patterns that occur in our life, in our experience of the world. We, we have the same splash against the same rock over and over again. And our souls, instead of taking a book off the shelf, they're like, you know what? I know this pattern. I understand how the world works. This isn't a possible story that I'll keep on the shelf. This is actually a rule for how the world works for who I am within it, and that story is gonna get integrated inside of me so that I don't have to do that extra step of taking the book off the shelf. Now the story just lives inside of me, and when that happens, we conform how we show up in the world around it. We are shaped by that. It shapes how we show up in the world, right? Um, there's a guy named Shakar Kapur, and he says, we are the stories we tell ourselves. We are the stories we tell ourselves. This guy is, a, is an Indian filmmaker, so I think he meant this in like a really beautiful, artistic way, but I think what he's saying is actually true, like psychologically, scientifically, biologically. The stories you've integrated into yourself about how the world works, about the person next to you, about who you are within it, about what your purpose is, these stories shape you. They shape the thoughts you have, they shape the feelings that you have, they shape the reactions you have to events. They shape you physically, like biologically. Your heart beats at a different rate based on the story you believe about how safe the space you're in is, right? Your lungs inhale and they exhale at different times based on the story you believe about what's happening to you, right? It shapes us, it changes us. Your, your body can literally hold on and process sugar differently based on what you believe, about the world around you, about the story you're living. So surely that means, if, if, if the stories we tell ourselves are so important, if they can shape us to that degree, surely that means that we, if we wanna care for our souls, have to pay attention, have to notice, not just all the stories that are on our shelf, but the ones that we've integrated into who we are, the ones that we've let shape us. And I think that's what today's scripture is about. I'll read it again for you. I included that verse one because it's such a nice hat tip to last week's sermon, but we're really in verse two here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. On the simplest level, there's a pattern in this world. There's a way that the world seems to work. There's experiences you have over and over again, and when they're repeated like that, they form a story for you, and it speaks that story over you, and if you integrate it, it shapes who you are. It shapes how you show up, you, you conform in that. And this verse is saying, instead of that, let's be transformed, let's conform to a different kind of story. Let's let the stories and the will of God transform us and set us free. There's two invitations in this verse that I want us to notice, right? We've got the first part, do not conform, and then the second part, Part, be transformed. Those are the two invitations. And one of them, you notice, is reactive. It's, it's an invitation to stop doing something. And one of them is active. I want you to start doing something. I want you to stop doing this one thing and start doing this. And I want to start with the one that we have to stop. Stop conforming to the pattern of the world. The implication in an invitation that's asking you to stop, the implication is that you're already doing it. It's happening right now, in this moment, 
You are telling and receiving stories from the pattern of the world, and you are conforming to them. Unless you actively resist that, that's what's going to happen. Almost like it's your design. Almost like that's just how humans operate, right? That's how we're made, maybe. And so we have to ask ourselves, like, what is the pattern of the world that we have to stop conforming to? If you're like me and you have any church background, or maybe it's just my church background and I'm projecting it, but I think I've heard pattern of the world, like every time I hear the world, it means like not Christian, bad culture, <laughs> like specifically American non-Christian culture. I don't think when Paul's writing this, he's referring to one specific set culture inside of time. I don't think he's talking specifically about non-Christian culture. I think he might just be saying like, don't conform to the pattern of the world, to the pattern of what you experience. And, and it's your experience, right? It's the pattern of the world you experience. Everybody in here will have had different experiences, and, and for our soul, like, it's just so much work to take that story off the shelf every time and figure out what it is. And so we seek patterns. We want to understand how the world works. We want to understand who we are in it. And if we see the same theme come up over and over again, we are desperate to latch onto it, to integrate it, so we don't have to do that extra step of pulling the book off the shelf. So everybody in here has different patterns of this world they've experienced, right? Maybe you grew up in a home with an absent or emotionally unavailable father, and maybe the first time that happened, you had a series of stories that could explain that to you. But then it happened again and again and again and again for the first 16 years of your life, and then maybe you got your first boyfriend, and he also was emotionally unavailable, and there it is, we've got a pattern. Now I have a story, men are emotionally unavailable, and it makes it easier for me to operate in the world if I have this story so I don't have to keep trying every time and being confused and hurt and whatever, let's just find a story that works, that fits my pattern of the world, right? Or, or maybe you grew up in a home where you were, had this pattern of people who you love just leaving you, and maybe that's happened throughout your life for different reasons. Then maybe you've integrated the story that people don't stay. Or maybe you've integrated the story that you're not lovable, that you're not worth staying for because it's the pattern of the world that you've experienced. The patterns we experience in the world, they become stories of how the world works and what's true of us. And this verse is saying, don't be conformed, implying that for us as humans, this is an automatic process. It's automatic that we will notice the patterns of our experience in the world and integrate them into stories that shape us. That's how we're made, it seems, right? And I, I wonder if we have to be told not to do this because this is, this is not some dysfunction within us, but perhaps this is like God's awesome, cool design, but maybe we were just like not meant for this world, right? Like if you believe the story of creation inside the scripture, then it's almost like we were designed, we were fit for this other world that looks like the kingdom of God, that looks like the kingdom of heaven. And the pattern of that world is that people are kind to each other and they love each other and they stay and they forgive each other and they fight for each other and there's truth and there's justice and there's life everywhere. And maybe if we were in that world, right, the pattern of it that we would notice would sing over us stories that we are worthy, that we are valuable, that people can be trusted, that we can move towards them, that we can open up. Maybe we are meant to conform to the pattern of a world, but it's just not this one. And when something happened and this world got broken and distorted, it's not us that's broken for conforming to the pattern of the world. It's that we have to stop conforming to the pattern of a broken world. It's teaching us twisted things. It's teaching us stories about ourselves that we are not worthy, that we are not loved, that we are not precious, that we cannot trust each other 
that there is no truth, that there is no justice, that there is no life. That is the pattern of our experience in the world. We're not crazy. That is the pattern of the world if you look around. I don't think there's shame in noticing it. This verse doesn't seem to deny it. It just asks us not to conform to it. It just asks us not to be shaped and changed by it. Like basically, as you believe and you integrate these stories that that people aren't trustworthy, that you aren't lovable, whatever it is, as you integrate them, they squish and they conform. That self part pushes down on your identity. And then when you show up, when you splash up against the world, it's a different version of you. Now there's parts of your soul that are hidden from us because it's not safe to bring those parts out. It shapes how you show up in the world, how we experience each other, how much of each other's souls we get to see. And this verse says that there's another option. It says, don't do that. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Instead of being conformed, be transformed. It's interesting, like for me, I think, I think the natural progression in this verse would be, don't be conformed, stay as you are. <laughs> like, don't be shaped by the things you experience. Don't let the world or anything you experience within it change how you show up in any way. But there's only two options in this verse. There's conform or be transformed. Both of them involve change. Both of them involve movement within you, right? Both of them mean that that whatever is happening when you collide up against those rocks in life, those experiences, those circumstances, that as that happens, you're going to be shaped one one way or another and you can either absorb the patterns of the world and the story that speaks over you that will hinder your ability, that will press in on your soul and squish and squash it so you can't show up in the fullness of who you are, or there'll be stories spoken over you that sound like the kingdom of God, that that sound like Jesus. And as those stories are integrated into your soul, you show up more fully yourself. More of your soul gets to splash out when we see you. We get to see more of the fullness of who you are. You get to be set free, right? And I I don't know specifically what he means by transformed here. But I really do love the idea of like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this story, but Michelangelo, he says when he was sculpting David, he's talking about the this, this statue of David here, that he, they're like, you know, how did you make that so amazing? He wasn't, he says, he wasn't trying to create something. He wasn't like, you know what, I want to go build this angel within the statue, right? He describes it, this beautiful quote, he says, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. I think that's such a beautiful picture of the kind of transformation we can experience when we integrate the stories of Jesus over us. That we are transformed, but not into someone we never were. We're transformed into who we're always meant to be, like the fullness of who we are, that like stretching of our wings, that feeling more freedom, walking more fully in these different corners of your soul that you're scared to let anyone see because the pattern of the world has taught you it's dangerous. But the more you live in this kingdom of heaven stories, the more that the fullness of your soul is safe to come out. We are meaning-making machines. I think this verse is saying, it's not telling us to stop making meaning, stop telling yourself stories. It's telling us to be intentional in that process. Don't just absorb like that water, don't just absorb whatever foam floats back your way and integrates right into your soul. Explore, examine, consider your experiences. Um, the, the word that we used in, in your guides, and if you didn't get one, make sure you grab one on your way home because we're going to practice this a little bit, but the words that we used to describe this week, what we're practicing is interior examination. Those are kind of like scientific-y, churchy sound, sounding words, but really it's like pay, pay attention, like look at, examine, explore what's happening in here. Like these stories are floating back to you. Don't just receive whatever you're learning from the pattern of this world, but 
guide your experiences, guide your stories, reframe them into stories that help you live more fully in who you are. And there's two parts of that, I think. I mean, there's like a billion parts of that. There's two parts I'm going to talk about right now that I have thought of this week. So here you go. Um, First part, I think, is it begins with noticing with curiosity, right? Our first command in this text or invitation is don't conform to the pattern of the world, okay? And, And we're all like, okay, how do we do it? How do we stop? I think the best, biggest, most amazing thing you can do to stop conforming to the pattern of the world is just notice. Just like notice your reactions to things that happen. Notice the way you react when you brush up the things of the world and be curious about where those reactions come from because that's how we get to see the places that we have already conformed. That's where we get to ask ourselves the questions that help us see if we are being molded and shaped by our experiences, by the pattern of experiences we've had inside this world. So when I was sitting on that beautiful lakeside uh, thinking about things, I was like, most beautiful place in the world. I'm journaling about my soul, feeling really great, you know. I was like doing this thing where I was thinking through all the amazing people in my life who have just just helps me exist, <laughs> like stay alive somehow. I'm like praying through them, I'm journaling, I'm really trying to like really emotionally connect, you know, with God and creation and these people that I love so much. And I notice like this reaction inside of me. I notice like emotionally, just a little bit of like numbness or apathy. I notice in my body, like just a little bit fidgety, uncomfortable, a little bit like, should I go inside? Maybe I need more coffee, maybe, maybe I need a snack. I'm just not able to connect. And I remember thinking, I was curious, so I noticed that reaction and then I'm curious about it. I remembering like a younger version of me, like a 20, I don't know, 22-year-old Fab, sitting on that same hillside maybe, thinking about the people she loves. And I know that that younger version of Fab's would have been like journaling for days, weeping, feeling so much love, like couldn't hold it in, like so much a part of her, this like willingness to feel like deeply for the people that she loves, willingness to feel overwhelming gratitude. And and so I'm curious, I'm like asking myself, what's the difference? Am I just tired? Is it like long COVID stuff, you know? And I just noticed this resistance and this sense of like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to sit here and feel all these feelings for people when, like, you just don't know how long they're going to be there. Like, oh, dear. (laughs) Okay, well, that sounds like a thing to explore a little bit further. I would love to tell you the stories that I believe about how the world works. Young Fabs and this version of Fabs believe that you should love people no matter what, that it's not dangerous, that there's no risk in loving people with the fullness of who you are, that it's one of the greatest things. And as much as I would tell you that, as much as I cognitively believe that, as much as I want to operate in that, somewhere, sneakily, without my permission, my brain and my soul have integrated a different story. My pattern of experiences in this world has taught me that loving people is dangerous. And I, without even noticing, have integrated that story and I wouldn't even know it because I don't think it. I wouldn't know it unless I noticed my reactions on that hillside and unless I'm curious. And I know some of us today might be like, you know, interior examination, it's not for me. Like paying attention to what I feel and how I react, it's just not my jam. But I want to tell you like, The invitation is to reframe or notice your stories, but the invitation here today is not to start making stories. Like, you're already doing it. It is happening. It's happening just like it's happening for me on that hillside. Every single time you have a pattern of an experience, your brain is telling and absorbing these stories, and you just get to decide whether you're okay with that 
Whether you're okay by being shaped by these stories, Brene Brown says meaning-making is in our biology. And our default is often to come up with a story that makes sense, that feels familiar, and offers us insight on how best to self-protect. Like, doesn't it make sense that if our souls were built for a different kind of world, that they're really used to worlds that feel safe, that they're like tires for Montana versus tires for Texas. They're just built for different things, right? Like my soul is built for a space where it feels safe and loved and, and where there's no death and there's no danger. And so it makes sense that it would integrate fastest the stories that it thinks are gonna get me there the fastest. Loving people is dangerous is going to help protect me. My sweet soul is not trying to hurt me by integrating that story. It's integrating it because it wants to keep me safe from deep pain that I've experienced. And while I'm looking the other way, while I'm teaching sermons about what I believe, my, my mind and my spirit are integrating that story, right? And I, I understand it. I have compassion on it. And I don't want it. Like, I don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this world because this world is broken, I want to be conformed to the pattern of the kingdom of God because it will set me free to be the fullness of who I am. I want the stories that are integrated into my soul to be stories about what is right and pure and true and noble and good and life-giving, right, lovely. These are the stories that I want to shape. And it begins with noticing with curiosity. Like me on the hillside, I notice those responses and then I'm curious about them. And a lot of times when I do work with clients like on emotional regulation or anything, the first step, first step is always noticing, like just at the end of the day, track your emotions, just notice what you felt. And everyone's always like, okay, got it. What's step two? Like, how do I change them? And the wild thing about your brain is that just noticing without doing any more work, if all you do for the rest of your life is just notice your reactions, it will help you stop conforming to the pattern of the world. Because the minute you notice what happens in your brain is a working distance is created between that story and your experience. And all of a sudden, that story becomes one possibility rather than the rule for how the world works. Even, in that, even on that hillside, before I figured anything out, when I just noticed that reaction and I'm curious about it, my brain is already being like, should this story be back on the shelf? Are we not sure about this one? And that helps us resist that pattern to just conform without thinking. So just notice. Just notice with curiosity. And if you want to step two, you can find stories that make sense of our experience and sound like Jesus. This is what we need. The reason my brain and my soul have integrated this story, loving people is dangerous, is because it's the story that makes the most sense of the pattern of my experiences within the world. I want a story. My soul longs for a story that sounds like Jesus, right? Don't you feel that? Even when you talk to people, don't you feel how much they long for a story about how loved they are and how valuable they are, how precious they are? how safe they are, they long for it. But my soul will prioritize a story that makes sense of my experience. It has to make sense of what I'm feeling. If it doesn't, I can't receive it. It can't be the explanation for how the world works and it can't be the explanation for who I am if it doesn't make sense of my experience. And I think this is what we do all the time in the church. We offer each other these beautiful, wonderful stories that sound so much like Jesus and they sound like the kingdom of God, but they don't make sense of our experiences. They don't fit the pattern of what we're experiencing in the world, right? If you were hanging out with me a, few, a decade or so ago and I'd just been through like a traumatic loss of my friend and I'm sitting there and what I'm experiencing in that moment, what I'm experiencing is there's so much pain I'm going to die. And I have just lost an integral part of myself. That's what I'm feeling. 
And if you'd watched me, you would have seen me comfort myself with these stories that I believe, that I think are precious and true, stories like, God is with me, and Jesus is not going to leave me, and and death has no sting, and Jesus loves me so much. These are beautiful stories. They're stories I want to integrate into the fullness of who I am. They're stories that will set me free, but if you think about me in that moment experiencing pain like I've never experienced and fear that I'm not going to survive it, like, Jesus loves me? Doesn't make sense of that. Death has no sting? Certainly does not make sense of that experience. And while I love them and I want to integrate them, I believe them, my brain and my soul cannot do that work of like mixing that story into us because it doesn't make sense of what we're feeling. We have to have a story that makes sense of what we're feeling. And ideally, I think our souls really crave a story that also sounds like Jesus, right? Loving people is dangerous. It makes sense. It just doesn't sound like Jesus. That is not how Jesus talks. He doesn't tell me loving people is dangerous. So how do I get both, right? How do I get a story that sounds like Jesus and also makes sense of my experience? And I think this takes a long time, especially when it's a really painful experience. This isn't like day one, here we go. It's a process. Uh, and when you're doing therapy with people who have significant trauma, there's a thing, there's a season, a phase called post-traumatic growth. It's like at the very tail end, years and years and years in, and it's a cycle, so you come back around to it. But it's this moment where they make meaning, they reclaim their story, they reframe it in a way that they want to, that that makes sense, lets them be more who they want to be, how they want to show up in the world, and that's sort of like this process, like I've done this with this specific story, I've done this part a billion times and I will do it a billion more. And on that health side is just one more moment that I get to do this, that I do this work of reframing that experience for my soul. And I, I imagine and envision Jesus moving towards me and reminding me that that experience, it felt like that. It felt like I couldn't survive it because my soul was not built for it. I was not built to say goodbye to people. I wasn't built for death. I wasn't built for betrayal. I'm not made for those things. It feels like it's gonna tear my soul in two because my soul isn't built to withstand it. And at the same time, on that hillside, Jesus is like, like look at us. We're still here. We, we have survived it. You, you did survive it. You loved people and you lost them and you were here today and you're all here. No part of you is missing. No limb is missing. No part of your soul is missing. You are all here. We made it through. You were safe. It felt terrible, but we made it through. And that story makes sense. It makes sense of why it felt like that. It felt like that because I wasn't built for it. It wasn't the world. It's not the kingdom of God. It's not the world I was made for, right? And it helps speak a word over me that sounds more like Jesus, that sets me free moving forward to love people more, to be more the fullness of who I am, because we can survive it. We can love people with the fullness of who we are. We can lose them in the worst possible ways, and we will still be on that hillside, fully ourselves, me and Jesus. Right? That's the story that sounds like Jesus and makes sense of my experience. I had a whole like 15 pages in my notes here about how this works in neuroscience and I cut them out, but I could only do that if I allowed myself the permission to say, I cut 15 pages of notes out about neuroscience and on April 2nd, we're gonna have like a leader development time where I will share all those notes because I needed a place, I had to promise them. There's a place for you. It's just not a sermon on Sunday. So stay tuned. More information about that coming soon. Um, We have to examine ourselves in order to care for our souls. We have to, to make sure we know who is shaping them, 
how they're being shaped and what they're conforming to so that we can shepherd them into true stories that sound like Jesus and make sense of our experiences, right? Um, I don't love the, the word examination. When we talked this week in your, in your booklets, as I said, you're gonna have some practices that help you do this, help you notice things within yourself. And I don't love the idea of you like looking at yourself with interior examination. It sounds like way too scientific for me, like heady. Uh, it, and, and maybe this is, again, my background, my stories that I've integrated. But I want us this week to try to like look inside ourselves with this tender, like loving curiosity. You don't have to figure anything out. You don't have to like build anything. You can just approach yourself with that tenderness. Mark talked last week about this problematic relationship we have with our body in the world, but especially in the church. I think the same thing is true of our, of our thoughts and our feelings. Like our heart is deceitful above all else, right? Like we have a hard time noticing the places that we have conformed to the pattern of the world and, and, and receiving them and learning from them and listening to them with grace and compassion, right? We're told that we're believing lies. And I get it, I get it. There are twisted and distorted parts of us that have conformed to a twisted and distorted world, but I promise you, any coping mechanism, any pattern you have within you, it, it comes from somewhere. It comes from some pattern of some experience that you've had. You're not innately broken, right? There's, there's a power in noticing and welcoming these parts of you with warmth and compassion, not because you're gonna like tell all of them that they are gonna run the show, but so that they can be reshaped, set free, from what's conformed them, right? It's a delicate process. You're a complicated creature. And it has to be done, I think, with tenderness and with love. And when I was, I was sitting there looking out at this lake um, in Scotland, it's a different picture, same lake. It looks so different in different light. It was really beautiful. I was looking out of it and noticing that for me, right, there's a lot of parts within me there are some parts that I think look like they've been shaped by the stories of the kingdom of God, and I love those parts. I'm really proud of them. There's some parts that are like kind of dark and twisty, and they've conformed to the pattern of the world. There's some parts I don't even know, and I don't even want to know. They're like down in a basement, somewhere deep inside, and it's all sealed up. And I'm looking out over this water. It's like there are places in this water that I don't want to go. I don't know about the Loch Ness Monster, but I'm not saying it's not real. I just don't want to do it, right? There, I don't want it. I don't want to go in there. And I was thinking that when it comes to our souls, right, it's really hard to start this process of examination if you have that feeling that there might be something inside of you that's like deeply dangerous and like deeply unwelcome. That maybe like the starting place is to look out over that fullness of that lake, the parts you know and the parts you don't know, the parts you see and the parts you don't see and speak like the truth of the gospel over them, which is like you, fullness of soul, you are Every part of you is loved and accepted here. You don't have to change in order to be welcome here. You are loved. And, and I even imagine, like, I think it comes from a David Benner book, but I couldn't find it this week, but he, I think he talks about setting the table, like imagining Jesus kind of setting the table for all the different parts of you, like the parts that have conformed to the twisty world that are, that are broken and the parts that you're scared to even like let out of the basement and the parts that you're so proud of and that Jesus welcomes them all and you can notice that he doesn't like favor it, doesn't move towards that shiny one. That's not how Jesus operates. Like he has all these seats around the table. He leans in and he listens to every part with like love and tenderness, right? He understands where every story came from at that table, even if they're conflicting, even if they're different. And, and if he has a seat of privilege, like if he has a seat next to him for his favorite, I think it's going to go to the part that you're most afraid of. 
part you're most ashamed of. Based on how he acted in this world, I think Jesus is gonna usher that part into the seat of privilege and just lean in and hear their story. That's all the work of interior examination is. It's like listening to yourself, noticing what's happening, letting Jesus speak to the different parts of you. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.